Scotty Smith is a well-known author and conference speaker, PCA church planter, and he wrote very honestly about his prayer life in Table Talk magazine. This is what he wrote. I am a recovering, self-centered, pragmatic prayer, a believer who spent many of my first years in Christ thinking of God more as a sugar daddy than the sovereign father. Prayer for me had more in common with programming a heavenly computer than surrendering to a loving master. I worked harder at claiming God's promises for my ease than being claimed by God's purposes for his kingdom. Many of you were honest, very honest last week uh, during the equip hour in your discussion groups as we talked about prayer. And many of you, several of you, expressed similar feelings about prayer. I don't know what to say when I pray. I don't feel like anyone is there. I feel like prayer is a one-way conversation. I feel like my prayers are just one big request session. That's honest. That's good. Now, listen to what transformed Scotty Smith's prayer life. He continues writing. Nothing has been of greater importance to my growth in grace than learning to pray the scriptures while wearing the lens of the gospel. Learning to pray the scriptures while wearing the lens of the gospel, and nothing has proven to be more fruitful. Praying the word of God. This morning as we return for a second week, to talk about prayer in this hour, ninth week of looking at these wonderful means of grace that God has uh, given to us, whereby through the, the power of the Spirit and faith, the Lord takes us to Jesus. This is what we're going to talk about. All the things we could talk about concerning prayer. Praying God's Word. It's, it's going to transform your prayer life. It gives you and me words to say beyond our own words or when we have no words. It reminds us that someone is there and he is listening. And it broadens our conversation with the Lord beyond just our wants and our needs and our requests. This is why you and I must pray the Word of God. So we're going to talk about this morning as we return once again to Acts chapter 2. So I invite you now to take your Bibles and turn there. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you. When you found Acts chapter 2, let's stand together so we might hear, read the word of the living God. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42, this is the word of the Lord. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God. And having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how we thank you 
for your word. The revelation it is to us of who you are and who we are and who we should be before you. But mostly, Lord, tells us of Jesus. As we come to your word this morning, we ask that we might see him. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. If you look again at verse 42, here's this beautiful verse that lists these means of grace for us that, that we've been looking at now for nine weeks. Verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that's the word of God, and the fellowship to the breaking of bread, the sacraments, and to the prayers. Now, if I were following the order of this verse, I would have started talking about the sacrament of the Lord's Supper last week because that comes between the preaching of the Word, about which we preached a couple of weeks ago, and the prayers. But I chose not to do that, and here's why. I didn't want for you and for me anything to come between the Word of God and prayer. Nothing should come in our lives between the Word of God and prayer. We've got to keep the two together. In his book, Habits of Grace, David Mathis Mathis writes, We inhale Scripture and we exhale in prayer. We inhale Scripture and we exhale prayer. Look, if you only exhale, you die, right? Isn't that how we describe death? Someone took their last breath, they inhaled They exhaled, they didn't inhale again, they're dead. And so it is with our prayer life. If we only exhale our words, our thoughts, our needs, our wants, our wishes, it's likely that our prayer life will die or maybe that it will just feel dead to us. We've got to inhale as well. Inhale the Word of God. Tim Keller writes in his book about prayer, this wedding of the Bible and prayer anchors your life down in the real God. That's beautiful language, isn't it? A wedding between the Word of God and prayer, the intimate union that exists between the two of them. It should not be broken. John Calvin writes in his famous Institutes of the Christian Religion, in, now, this is John Calvin. This is the way he talks, not the way I talk. You'll see what I mean. In seeking God, miserable men do not rise above themselves as they should, but they measure God by the yardstick of their own carnal stupidity and neglect sound investigation. Thus, out of curiosity, they fly off into empty speculations. They do not therefore apprehend God as he offers himself, but imagine him as they have fashioned him in their own presumption. They're not worshiping God, but a figment and a dream of their own heart. You see, we only know God, the one to whom we pray when we inhale the truth of who he is through his word. Therefore, prayer must be inseparably connected to the Word of God. Now, Mathis, Keller, Calvin, they're wise men, and their words are very helpful. 
But the real weight, the real weight for you and for me has to come from the Word of God. And so I want to direct your attention just momentarily to Psalm 1. Psalm 1. This psalm has been called, not a prayer because it's not a prayer, but the preface and the gateway to the psalms. And the psalms are the prayer book of God's people. So I'm going to say it like this. Psalm 1 is the gateway to prayer. Psalm 1 is the preface to prayer. Now listen to verse 1 and 2 of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks, not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. By ordaining that Psalm 1 should actually become Psalm 1 in our Bibles, might God be impressive impressing upon those who want to have a deep and meaningful prayer life privately and corporately that before we ever enter into prayer, the gateway, the preface to prayer must be delighting, finding our joy in the Word of God. Before we enter into prayer, We should meditate on God's Word day and night. Prayer and God's Word must be married. We must inhale God's Word and exhale in prayer. And perhaps this is why the Apostle Paul writes in Colossians 3, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. The Word of Christ dwell in you richly, abundantly, as some translations say it. What does abundance look like? I don't know about you, but when I imagine abundance, I immediately picture a Thanksgiving table and how richly and abundantly it's laden with food. And as you try to find one more spot for that one last dish, you wish you had played Tetris a little bit more to figure out how it is that you're going to to, to fit it in. So it is with the Word of God. It it should fill our hearts looking for more places, for more of the Word. What are you allowing to dwell in your heart right now? Fear, anger, frustration, worry, judgment. Those are the common suspects these days, aren't they, in this world in which we live Here's the good news. You and I can choose to replace those things with the Word of God. We can flip over the table in our hearts, spill off all of those things. Just like Jesus flipped over the table in the temple, spilling off everything on them. We flip over the table, we spill off those things, and then we put the table aright and we reset it. With the Word of God, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, always looking for room for one more truth. Inhale Scripture 
exhale, prayer. See, our prayers, yours and mine, they, they can't come from our emptiness. They come from the fullness in our hearts when we dwell on the Word of God. We read these words of Jesus earlier in the service. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And that includes what we speak in prayer. But here's the thing. The Word of God can't dwell richly in your heart and my heart if we don't read the Word of God, right? Not because we have to, not because we're obligated to, not because God will give us points if we read His Word, but because it fills up our heart with good things. And because the Word brings life to our languid, lethargic, lack of motivation and energy, prayer life. I've found that reading the Word and meditating on it and delighting in it and hiding it in our hearts depends to a large degree on how we view what the Word of God is, really. What, what is the Word of God, really? I have commonly heard it referred to like this. The Bible, B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth, Bible. Have you heard that? I don't want to denigrate that, and I don't want to disparage that, because it's absolutely true that in the Word of God, God instructs us about how it is that we should live our life. It is indeed the Word of God, a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our paths, but is that mostly what the Bible is? Is the Bible mostly rules? Is the Bible mostly instructions? And the answer is no. Now the deacons are going to have to bring smelling salts for all the Baptists because they just passed out. Come on. Everybody loves a little cheesy 1950s preacher humor, don't you? Seriously. If we see Scripture mostly as an instruction manual, we're not nearly as excited to, to read it, to meditate on it, to delight in it, to hide it in our hearts any more than it excites us to get nice and comfortable on our couch with a cup of coffee so that we can read our owner's manual for our new lawnmower or our Zumba vacuum cleaner. I want one of those, by the way. And my birthday's coming up, just, just so you know. I'm not kidding, really. No, I'm kidding. Look, the, the, the Bible, from start to finish, it's not mostly about rules and instructions. It's about a person that we call Jesus. And listen, that's not my personal opinion. That's not my Presbyterian opinion. This is according to Jesus himself. Listen. To this story. On the day of his resurrection, Jesus came alongside two disciples who were sad. They were dejected. They had left Jerusalem. They were on their way to Emmaus. So Jesus comes and starts walking beside them. He starts to ask them what they are talking about, only they don't recognize Jesus as Jesus. They don't recognize him at all. And so these two disciples began to tell Jesus their story. 
They had believed that Jesus was the one, the Messiah. But now these two only saw Jesus as another dead prophet. Crucified, dead, and buried. Some story was circulating that day that the tomb was empty, but they had decided just to move on. And so Jesus says to these two, who still don't know he's Jesus, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And Now listen. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. From Genesis to Malachi, from the first book in the Old Testament to the last, it all points to, prepares for, finds its fulfillment in Christ. And so here's the reality. When we come to the Word of God, when we come to prayer, it's to meet Jesus. And when our hearts are full of the Word of God, when the Word of God dwells richly in them, it means our hearts are full of Christ. Right? Back to the story. Evening came as these two were walking along. And they invited Jesus to come in with them where they were staying, and Jesus agreed. And when they had come around the table together, Jesus took bread And he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And immediately, their eyes were open, and they saw him for who he was. They knew he was Jesus, but Jesus vanished from their sight. And these two disciples said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened to us Scripture? This is what Scripture does when we read it. Not looking so much for instructions, not looking so much for rules, but when we look for the person of Jesus Christ. It's the person of Christ. More than a set of rules and instructions that set our hearts on fire. You believe that? Back to the story. Immediately, these two that were headed to Emmaus, forget all about Emmaus, uh uh-uh. They hightail it back to Jerusalem where they find the other disciples and others who were gathered with them. And they told them what happened. Everything that happened with Jesus. He, He really is alive. And then Jesus appeared to all of them. And he said this. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, that's the entirety of the Old Testament, must be fulfilled. Then he opened all their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Look what happened again when the Lord opened their minds to understand scripture. We understand 
that Scripture is about Jesus. We understand that we come to the Word of God to meet Jesus there. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding amen. And through Christ, our amen ascends to God for his glory. Christ fulfills it all. Listen to this prayer that the apostle Paul prays for the believers in the church at Colossae and also the church at Laodicea. Here's his prayer. That they all would reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, not in philosophy, in Christ. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Come on, come on. When you and I go to Scripture, we find Christ there. We find the mystery of the God of the universe revealed to us. Ah, this is it. Mystery solved. It's in Christ we see the love of God. It's in Christ that we finally see what God was doing, reconciling sinful people like you and me to himself and calling us this, sons and daughters. What? It's through Christ that God will someday unite all things in him. Can you imagine uniting all things in this crazy world? Uniting all things in heaven and on earth in Christ. Christ is the one whom God, the Father, wants us to look upon and wonder. Oh, that's who he is. That's what he's done. That's why he did it. That's what he's going to do. Wow. Christ is the one for whom the word awesome should always be reserved. Scripture is about Christ and prayer is about relationship. Relationship between you and me and Jesus. And that's why we inhale Scripture and we exhale in prayer in conversation with him. Now listen, I'm almost done. Not much longer. We just heard that the Apostle Paul prayed that the Laodiceans would find their their treasure, right? Find everything hidden in Christ. Unfortunately, the Laodiceans weren't finding their treasure, their everything in Christ. Their hearts were not burning within them as they found Christ in Scripture. In fact, they were neither hot nor cold. They were lukewarm. They were indifferent. So now listen to what Jesus tells the Apostle John to write to this church. In a letter specially written for them, Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus is not here. The poor, pitiful, mendicant, 
begging for entrance, as we have so often been led to believe by these verses. Begging, please, oh please, let me in, let me in. No. This verse, it's about fellowship. It's about table fellowship. And for the Middle Easterner in in Jesus' day, and really for you and for me as well, there's no more closer fellowship that we can have as when we break bread together. So really, this is about prayer. Think of prayer this way. As Jesus breaking bread with us. That's Jesus' invitation here. Let's break bread together. And there's the bread. It's resting on the table between us and Jesus. And that bread is the word of God. We inhale scripture. We exhale in prayer. Prayer is a relationship. C.S. Lewis writes that the presence and the vision and the enjoyment of God is the bread and the wine of prayer. The presence and the vision and the enjoyment of Christ and a relationship with Him is the bread and the wine of prayer. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. Prayer. It's the way we enjoy the presence of the one we have come to know through the word. And when we saturate ourselves with the word of God, when the word dwells in our hearts richly, when we go to the word to seek and find Jesus there, when we meet with Jesus around the world, some of our challenges to prayer disappear. We realize we're not alone. We don't worry so much about what to say because the word gives us the words. We see our fathers more than a sugar daddy. We become less interested in claiming things for ourselves. Our prayers are broadened beyond our personal requests because Jesus is such an infinite person to know. And his kingdom and his purposes are of proportions that we cannot begin to imagine. And we get to discover all of that. Christ, his purposes, his promises. When we inhale scripture and exhale in prayer. Let's do that now. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for prayer. Help us to remember, Lord, that you invite us to pray. You want us to pray. Did you not, you wouldn't have extended the invitation to us over and over in your word. Father, I ask now that simply you would teach us how to pray your word. We need to know how to do that, Lord, to to come to your prayer, to pray through your word. Spirit of God, thank you that you search our hearts. That's your promise. 
When we don't know what to pray, you intercede on our behalf. So, so make us learners, Lord. Take us to school and teach us how it is that we should pray your word. And, and I pray on behalf of all of us that, that through that, you would uh, inspire and, uh, and flare up and, and flame up our lives of prayer, Lord. Help us see prayer as bigger Uh, and, and beyond whatever we might have imagined. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.